You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Larry Lieber, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And this is the second part to our first episode of Ant-Man. Now, you may want to stop listening now and tune into our first part. You better go search through our uh, podcast feed for that because uh, that's where the the conversation starts. Eric and I talked for three hours about Ant-Man and I didn't want to make that one big long episode. I guess I could have, but I made the idea to split it right down the middle so that the first part was talking all about Ant-Man and this part deals with Tales to Astonish number 49 to 59. This is the birth of Giant Man, the the first 10 or 11 issues of his superhero career. So sit back and relax. I'm going to plop you right into the middle of our conversation already in progress and here we are talking about Giant Man. Tales to Astonish number 49, Ant-Man and the Wasp, starring in The Birth of Giant-Man. We open with Giant-Man blowing up his house, I guess. I don't know if it's his house. Well, he's growing. He's just growing too big for it. Right. He's gr- getting big. And he tells Janet that he has discovered a um, an enlarging fluid, sort of like his shrinking fluid, except the opposite. And he's been too big. Now, the interesting thing is that while the title of this is about Giant Man, the actual story is not necessarily about just that. We also meet the Eraser. I think this is one of the coolest covers. And it's actually, visually, it's a really neat power. He swipes and and part is just erased. Like right. like you would run an eraser off, yeah. across a piece of right. paper. Not to be confused with the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Eraser. <laughs> yeah. You have been erased. Very different. Yeah. It turns out that this guy, with the exception of a, an unfortunately positioned hot dog vendor, is also kidnapping scientists. And these scientists have been captured in order to give the Dimension Z residents... That's Dimension Z for all you oh, Americans. Yeah, right. The secret of atomic power, which will help them to take over the universe or something. Is this the first reference to atomic power in this book? Ooh. It might be. There's a lot of radiation before, but this might be the first mention of atomic power. Yes, we get a couple of more. We get a couple more atomic references later on in this book here. Uh, yeah, the cool thing here is that at the very beginning they establish right off the bat how tall Giant Man can grow. Twelve feet is his limit, because if he gets any bigger than that, then it, he gets weaker because his muscles can't keep up. Which I kind of think is is odd more more like his his blood can't pump to support his heart or something like that i think is what they said when he grows tiny he grows stronger but when he grows bigger he grows weaker well he grows stronger to a point but then he gets weaker 
So as he grows up to 12 feet, he does get stronger because his muscles are larger or and stuff like that. Yeah. So, but it, it, yeah. See, it does seem that he is stronger when he is Ant-Man than when he is Giant-Man. But I like that it's actually a reasonable-sized giant. Yeah. And it, when, the, when the Ultimates came out and he was like 30 feet was his default size. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's a little ridiculous. Well, not that this isn't ridiculous. This is completely well, ridiculous, even, too. Even, um, I don't know exactly when they removed that restriction, but even later Giant Man and um, when, when Clint Barton was Goliath, like, one of the first issues with Clint Barton is Goliath. He's on this island, and he's he's massive. Yeah. It's like if you looked over at an island in the distance, and you see this giant man standing on it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I well, and even in this issue later on in this book, he grows 30 feet or something like that. One of the last stories. This one has the same plot as issue 41. And Pretty much. sort of the same plot as issue 35. It, it doesn't vary. The only kind of unique thing about this one is the eraser. And yeah, and again, this uh, dimension has like this ability to teleport dimensions, yet they can't figure out atomic power. It's it's very kind of weird. And why Earth? Well, they do say why Earth. Why Earth is because um, Earth and their planet actually occupy the same space, just in parallel in, dimensions. Right, in, yeah. in parallel dimensions. So it's it's just one hop over kind of thing. But and so they've been watching. They've been able to watch basically the news and have seen the reports on atomic power um the atomic bomb and stuff like that and that's what led them to kidnap earth scientists yeah not bad this is also the return of jack kirby nice to see him back on the book um jen is in this issue and you know in the ones before this and after this as well but in this issue in particular she's very open about her love for hank pym and i just it struck me while reading this one how different she is from Jane Foster because Jane Foster always internalized things. She never spoke directly to Don Blake with about her undying love. Um, she always kept it to herself. But Jan is very outgoing and is open. Very obvious about it. Yeah, it's like constantly talks about it yeah. all the time. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it sort of starts here. I don't think it really starts here because like even the, the Trago oh, no. one, it's, it's like going on forever. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, we should go out for dinner and dancing. Yeah. Because from the you're very my boyfriend first, or something like that. From the very first issue, she was yeah. open about. But it. it does at some point start to become a lot more in your face. Uh, this issue also really, really makes it obvious that Pym is a reckless scientist. <laughs> yeah. um, like even in the first issue, he's like, "I'm going to try it on a chair. Then I'm going to try it on some other living creature, um, and then I'm going to try it on myself." Here, he's just trying it on himself right off the bat. And yeah, no right. one would ever experiment on themselves as a serious scientist. Because, I mean, he could have easily died. It's kind of like, again, in the in the Ultimates, he says, I'm going to test it on myself. And they're like, you're crazy. If you grow that big, you know, your heart could stop, whatever, and we're not going to be able to help you. And he's like, I'm just going to do it anyway. And that's basically what happened here. It's also a change from the gases. Um, they no longer have to use gas to change size. They now use pills. Oh, yeah. And these pills, they have kind of like a bat utility belt. Um, and each pocket, each pouch has a different type of pill in it to grow to a different size. I imagine like each one is a Pez dispenser. Yeah. <laughs> you pull back the head and it pops yeah. out a little candy. He's got little heads of all the Avengers on his belt there. <laughs> the Thor ones make you grow to uh, 10 feet. <laughs> and the Hulk ones are green, of course. Yeah. And they grow really large. Right. Who gets to be the small one? The Ant-Man Pez, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it, there's just one panel where he's showing like basically a slideshow of the different pills and the different colors and the different sizes. He's like, memorize this. Yeah. Let me get up my, my slide projector and clear off this empty space yeah. on the wall so I can show you this one slide that I probably could have just written down on a piece of paper for you. That's right. I want to know the thinking behind that, behind the switch to pills. Because how is a pill better than the gas? I guess, yes, they can choose the dose and therefore the size and they can carry more. I think that's the, the that's biggest the thing. one. So because, they can change size more? Because you have to dif- differentiate between shrinking and small and, and growing. Right. And if you just have a gas, right. that's, um, I don't know, or gas has its limits. or Yeah, well, I mean, they can only carry one dose basically um, before. One dose of shrinking, one dose of enlarging. But with pills, you eat it. And then you have to wait for the capsule to dissolve before it's going to take effect. And then you have to yeah. wait for the chemical to like be absorbed and distributed. Like at least with the gas, it's like in skin contact as well as you're breathing it. Well, that doesn't stop the writers from making no, it instantaneous. It'd be really weird too because it would seem like it would affect wherever it starts first near the stomach. And so you would sort of grow bigger from the inside out, <laughs> which was probably not a good idea. <laughs> anyway. Awesome. Just gets a big belly. Yeah. Issue number 50 is called The Human Top. And um, Giant Man realizes that even though he's big, doesn't mean he's useful. He ends up bumbling against uh, this new villain called The Human Top because he finds himself too slow. So he has to go through a rigorous training exercise. And this is the very first Ant-Man 2 parter. Mm-hmm. It is continued in the next issue. I was going to Therefore... It's really stretched out. Yeah. It, it, there's a lot of filler. Yeah, I kind of wonder whole... why they actually made it two parts. They could have done a two-parter on the last issue with the uh, Dimension Z, and it probably would have been more interesting. Yeah, there's a, a really, really lengthy training process, and just the, they take their time. Well the, well, the one thing that is good about it is actually they go and flesh out the, the backstory for the human top and they tell about his childhood and all this kind of stuff. And so in that but, case... But they don't mention where his powers come from. He just sort of has them. Right. I think in it later, they retcon him to be a mutant. He's born with these powers. Right, like like not in this volume later. Not in this volume later, yeah, yeah later on. Yeah. But he is probably the next big villain in this book. Mm-hmm. This one is inked by Steve Ditko, and it is uh, the only Steve Ditko appearance in this book. And his style of inking is very different than any of the other ones. He's very much more simplistic. Um, he doesn't spend a whole lot of time rendering shadows or or clo- cloth folds and, and that kind of thing. He, in fact, he's very simplistic even in his faces and in his backgrounds, um, much like you would see in his Spider-Man work. But because he's also drawing his Spider-Man work and inking it himself, he he has a you get a better sense of his style. But a lot of Jack Kirby is hidden behind Steve Ditko in this this one here. And I think about if you go to page 232, which is page number nine of this story, and you look at like the, the buildings in the background when Giant Man is being knocked into the marquee or when he's crashing through the fence, uh, there's just a lot of um, shortcuts taken yeah, here. They're really plain. And it's in stark contrast to the next issue, which is inked by Dick Ayers. Which uh, you weren't too keen on, but I think well, looks I, a lot better. Than I mean, Steve the Ditko. the look the look is good um, in general. I just don't. I'm not as much of a fan of the the big heavy lines. In this issue, they also changed the wasp's rationale for being the wasp. So this is sort of the second kind of retconned story or origin. 
there's a point here on page three, which is page 226 of the volume, where she says, if he thinks I became the wasp because, uh, because I like to chase criminals, he's mad. Um, I became the wasp because of big, wonderful, dreamy him. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of, course um, he, of course he did. Except if you read her origin, the reason she became the wasp was to chase down the criminals who killed her father. Yes. Or the monster in this well, case. Well, yes. That case. Right, yeah. And so she did join up for the adventure. Also, I'm wondering in this one why the ants don't talk anymore. After this point, the ants don't really talk. Um, before, they would send their signals and his helmet would translate them into words. But now it just translates them into these vague pictures and he has to sort of <laughs> figure out what they mean. Yeah, I was going to mention that too. It's like, it's a picture of a top with human features on it. What is that supposed to mean? And how do ants know what a top is? Yeah, yeah. And how, I, it's just, a, it's weird. It is a weird change. Not sure why they did that. Uh, in this one, Henry has a very big ego, and his overconfidence in himself leads to the top getting away. And this is a this is an example of a good bookend kind of writing because in the beginning the hero is overconfident and leads to the bad guy getting away, but in the next chapter it's the bad guy who's overconfident and leads to his capture. Uh, as another example of scientists are able to create whatever they want in as short a time as they want as soon as they finish fighting the top uh henry pym goes to work creating these things that'll help him get faster and so one thing is like a bouncing ball that bounces around a room and keeps getting faster and faster and okay that yeah fine maybe you could make that uh but then he also made a gyro top at the same time he made this gyroscopic remote control top which can whiz around the room uh, controlled by Janet, and then he will go and chase it down. Yeah. And it's brilliant. Also, and also, he created a chemical energizer formula that will help increase his speed when he's giant-sized. Wow. Yeah. All in one afternoon. That's right. He was busy. Very day. productive. We'll see this again um, when uh, in, in a future issue with the top, but it's funny that we often see the top just laying in bed, smoking, and reading the newspapers. <laughs> yeah. He's got like four newspapers on his bed, and he's just reading the newspaper. But we actually see that a few times, which is kind of interesting. Oh, and um, Janet, when she sees all of these fancy devices that he's made, she says, are you sure you haven't been reading too many adventures of Mr. Fantastic? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm, And I'm wondering... Does that mean that there's like an in-universe comic about uh, Reed Richards? Or maybe there it's just is. like... There is. There are in-universe comics of all of these guys. Because there's one issue, I think it's in the early Hulk, maybe? Where they scare away the alien race by showing him issues of Journey into Mystery. And showing, oh man, look at all these monsters. We better not go here because there are too many monsters. And oh, the aliens really? Go yeah. I can't remember um, what issue that is, though. I do, know, I do know that later on in the Fantastic Four books, they like are involved with the licensing of their own comic book and stuff, but that was right. way later. Yeah, But yeah, it's interesting to know that there are at this time as well. Okay, moving on to issue 51, Showdown with the Human Top. This is the second part of the story. And Giant Man uses the Human Top's arrogance against him before he can sell defense plans to communists. That's communism number three? Oh, it's like Maybe. communism number six or seven, I think, by this point. But here, the first this is the first appearance of an Ant-Man fan club. And the fan club makes several appearances in the last half of this book. At this time, 
because of the popularity of all of these superhero characters that have come up, fan clubs actually were starting to to pop up around. And Stan is actually a brilliant marketing guy because he really, really promoted these fan clubs. In fact, he encouraged people in the letters pages to write in and give the addresses to their fan clubs that they host in their own town so that people could connect with them. He really encouraged all of this. Mm. And this is the next step of encouraging it by actually having the fan clubs written into the stories, interacting with the superheroes. It happened in this one. There's an issue of Thor where a Thor fan club and a Hulk fan club are fighting and Thor has to come <laughs> in and break it up and tell a story to determine to, to show the fans who would win in a fight, Thor or or Hulk. Th- these fan clubs pop up in all the in all the books in these early sixties issues. I just wonder how they found out where Giant Man and Wasp were. Because they just sort of burst in the door and they're like, Oh look, we found them. It's like the paparazzi. They're, I they're guess, just yeah. everywhere. I guess. And then Giant Man and Wasp leave without getting rid of them. So, so they just, just leave them <laughs> unintended in, in their you know, the fan club who's crazy obsessed about them. Yeah, in they all their... start popping the pills and right, yeah, growing exactly. and shrinking right, like and playing crazy. around with his uh, <laughs> secret equipment and stealing all the science stuff. Yeah, not very smart there. The top at one point sings a line, um, Fare thee well, for I must leave thee, which is from a song called There is a Tavern in the Town, which is originally from 1883, but was recorded by Rudy Valley in uh, 1934, but also Bing Crosby in 1961 which is probably the one that he's referencing here. I would imagine so, yeah. Probably. And that song is also, it's, the, it's where we get the tune for, one of the tunes for Head and Shoulders, Knees and Toes. Oh, okay. It's not the London Bridge is Falling Down one, but it's the one that's like, Head and Shoulders, Knees and Toes, Knees and oh, okay. Toes. Yeah. So what is this one? Fare uh, thee well for No, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how the chorus goes exactly, <laughs> okay. but the verses is what, uh, the verses oh, okay. what takes that on. Gotcha. It's there's a tavern in the town. Oh, in the town. yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it's just an old bar song. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, I just want to make one little note about the inking because we had talked about yeah. the differences between here. This one is Dick Ayers. And he, like I said, he uses a lot of rendering and a lot of shadows and stuff like that. And one of the things that I really love about it is uh, on page 242 in this collection, um, page five in the issue, in the third panel... Uh, we see a giant man and wasp kind of running toward us, and their whole front is covered in shadow. It's a really striking scene. It stands out from the rest of the page, uh, shows de- directly where the light is, and it kind of shows that giant man is so large that he blocks out the sun. Mm-hmm. And that is not a move that Steve Ditko would ever do in any of his inking. Like He just doesn't put people in shadows. Uh, so it's I like that contrast. I think it's really neat. The other possible thing is that Dick Ayers made a huge mistake in his <laughs> inking and covered it up by putting him all in the shadow. <laughs> so that could also be the case. This is also the first appearance of a wasp story written by Stanley and Larry Lieber. And and, dr- drawn by Larry Lieber too. Oh, right, I think. sorry, yes. Drawn by Larry Lieber as well. And we find out that Janet has been spending time at the VA hospital with some of the handsome young vets who have returned from war. And she entertains them by telling them stories. And uh, this story is, uh, well, it's it's called uh, Somewhere Waits a Wabo. We find uh, uh, this very arrogant space shipper in the future named Rack Morgan. And 
he'll basically do anything for a job. He steals this job from somebody else and he passes by this planet, Draconius, which is supposedly um, inhabited by Wabos. <laughs> and, it just sounds funny. Yeah. And when he, when he passes by the Wabos uh, or the, by the planet, he, go, he sees all of this gold. And like huge, yeah, chunks huge, of it. like massive chunks. So being the greedy guy that he is, he stops and he takes a couple of these things on his ship. And on the way back, he finds out that it's not really a chunk of gold. It is a wabo and wabos attract enemies to them by using themselves as bait and disguising them as whatever it is that the guy would like. In this case, gold. So she finishes the story and takes off again. And this story is very much like the suspense sci-fi radio programs uh, from the 40s, uh, like X-1 or Dimension X or something like that. Um, I'm a big fan of those types of uh, radio programs. And this is like straight out of there. Yeah, well, this is a classic Marvel comic, you know, pre-superhero story as well. It's there's, there's, it's, that's it in a nutshell. Larry yeah. Lieber was great at pumping those out. He did so many of those kind of stories. Um, and because I mentioned that I was going to play a few clips from Larry Lieber and I haven't done that yet and we're over halfway through this book, yep. here is a little clip of Larry Lieber just talking about the guy who inked these stories for him, these wasp stories, credited here as G. Bell, George Bell, but his real name is George Rousseau's. You know, I don't know who George Bell was. Okay. <laughs> is George, I, I know the name, and, and this sounds silly. Was that his real name, or was that somebody else who used the name? I remember the name George Bell, but I never knew if it was somebody who maybe wasn't supposed to be inking or didn't want want it known and used that name. I, I, I don't know. His, it's actually, I just looked it up, uh, George Rousseau. Oh, it was George Russo. Yes. Ah, George, I believe, was also a colorist. Right. And and he was good. He was a very good colorist. As an inker, I can't tell you how good he was. Probably in in in, in the class with Dick Ayers, you know, the, the that type. Sure. There was a, another inker. I don't know if he ever inked my stuff, but he was one of the the two best inkers we had, I believe. If you if you call uh, John uh, Don Hecker, uh, forgetting him for a moment, but the two best guys who who did inking uh, primarily were Frank Giacoya, who also was a personal friend mm-hmm. and who I liked more than anybody else uh, as a person, and also he was a wonderful inker, and also Joe Sinnott. Yes, and Sinnott inked a lot of Kirby stuff later on the superheroes. Right. And he he was a very good inker, very good. Uh, and those were our two best inkers, I think, at Marvel. In Tales to Astonish number 52, we have the Black Knight Strikes. And we have a new villain for Giant Man and Wasp. Giant Man and Wasp at the beginning are foiling a group of thieves, as they always do, who are selling scientific secrets to Red Chinese spies. No way. <laughs> Communism. <laughs> um, he easily captures three of the members, but their sort of ringleader is getting away. He manages to catch them. And then for some reason, he's not like he's not held without bail um, for treason. He's like, just because like uh, because you're such a great scientist, your treason is more reprehensible than ever before. So your bail is going to be. $100,000, which is lots. 
Like, that's a lot of money. But you'd think for treason, they'd be held without bail. Yeah, right. So the the Reds uh, bail him out, and he flees um, on a counterfeit passport to uh, the Balkans somewhere, where he... This is the best part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, becomes enamored with the idea of a Pegasus, and sort of wonders, what if they actually could exist? So he rents a castle. <laughs> And spends his time experimenting until he's actually able to create a winged horse. I want to know how many horses he went through before he got it right. Yeah. So this is more like <laughs> unethical science here. Oh, man. Um, this pretty much states that all scientists are just mad scientists. Yes. So he comes back to uh, New York for some reason and starts stealing things. And, well, actually, he comes back specifically to get revenge on Giant Man Wasp. Yeah. Wasp sees him first, tells Giant Man, Giant Man doesn't believe her. And then almost immediately after that, he hears a report of basically a flying horse and a knight. And then he kind of believes her, but doesn't want to admit it. And they have to defeat this guy who has a technological lance that can shoot and fire and do all sorts of crazy things. And they do so over an amusement park. This issue has a gag where um, Wasp is in a cab and then senses the danger. So she just leaves the money and shrinks and gets mm-hmm. out of there. And the cab is like, this is a haunted cab. And and that is a direct copy of Fantastic Four number one. I was exactly going to say the same yep. thing. It's um, the, the exact same gag. Uh, okay. So interesting to note. Were you going to talk about Black Knight? Not really. This is not the very first Black Knight. There is a Black Knight in the, from 1955 when I think it was Atlas Comics, when Marvel was called Atlas, Black Knight number one. And it was the same thing. It was a Black Knight on a winged horse. And so this is just another example of Marvel bringing one of their Golden Age superheroes or supervillains into the modern universe, sort of like Human Torch or like the Submariner or Captain America. All of those ones existed before, and they're bringing them back here. And uh, Black Knight goes on to have a very lengthy career, changing different personalities. He's most famous as Dane Whitman, who has the ebony sword, the unbreakable sword. But this is not that Black Knight no. either. I think this is this is the one that trains Dane. Yes, I, I believe so as well. Um, but the ebony sword is sort of a um, a family heirloom from the Whitmans. I don't know if it's tied to the original Black Knight or not, but supposedly it's it's handed down sort of by, by the with the Black Knight persona over years. Um, but uh, this Black Knight in this issue, is, while he appears first in Ant Man, really goes on to become an Avengers villain, right? Yeah, whether Ant Man's on the team or not, and then Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, uh, eventually goes on to become a member of the Avengers and the Avengers West Coast. Um, we have another Wasp story. This one's called They Are Not What They Seem. And in this one, uh, this is another kind of funny alien story. Humans come down to a planet. They're zooming overhead and they see that all the men are beating up on women. And uh, they say that's not very fair. So they help out the women. No, the other way around. They they see the women and the men fighting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, and they yeah. go, if we help the men, they will... The men who are passing over are criminals. And they go, if we help the men, the men will shelter us uh, from the space police. Right. So they do that. And then they find out that it's the women who are actually trying um, to help them. Trying to help help them. It's the, it's the classic role reversal. That's another kind of common trope in, in these stories as well. Uh, and who's Wasp talking to in this one? Is, is it a bunch of orphans or something? Yeah. Yeah. This one is a, a local orphanage. 
Okay, let's keep on moving to issue number 53, Trapped by the Porcupine. This is the return of the porcupine. And in this one, he porcupine infiltrates a fan club. Um, he disguises, he, he, he goes in, a, in his civilian outfit, poses as a big giant man fan, and then, like they did in the other issue, they track down where, where giant man is and um, kind of mob him. And they're all dressed up as villains. It's like a villain surprise. And they all have these horrible costumes that sort of resemble the villains, except the porcupine shows up in his actual porcupine outfit. (laughs) (laughs) This is the very first example of cosplay in a Marvel comic. Looking at the list of, or the the, the group of villains that they've chosen, there are a couple that we haven't seen yet. Or, I mean, Doctor Doom is there. We haven't seen him fight Doctor Doom yet. Right. Um, It took me a while to realize that the guy dressed up in the purple and pink is actually the eraser. Looks, oh, really? He looks he looks oh, yeah. different. He looks different without the green skin. And then there's a person in the purple with like the the mop on their head and the gray visor thingy. And I don't know who that's supposed to be. Yeah, he kind of looks like maybe the unicorn. I thought so, but it doesn't really look like like if you look at other examples of the unicorn from the time, it doesn't really match. Like I don't know why they'd be a mop and not some sort of like bucket or something. Yeah. So I'm not really sure who that's supposed to be. Here's the flypaper gag is in this one again. Um, they can never get too... And, and the DDT gag. One. Yeah. So well. the, the porcupine uses DDT um, coming out of his car so that the ants who uh, like come near the car would die and then not be able to report back. But then you would think that Ant-Man would know where Just follow these... the trail of yeah. DDT. Yeah, follow the trail of the ants that have gone missing. Because somehow he knows, like he says... It's hopeless. The porcupine anticipated this move. Uh, his car's emitting clouds of DDT. The ants cannot report back to me. Well, if you know that, then you probably know where they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I like this one because Ant-Man really effectively uses his growing and shrinking mm-hmm. to his tactical advantage. Like he, he shrinks really fast and grows in order to like maximize his punches or um, that kind of thing. Which is what we see in the first Ant-Man movie, yep. which I thought was done really well. And this is part of the reason why Ant-Man is not such a nothing hero. Everybody's like, oh, what does he do? He shr-. Kind of like, oh, Aquaman, he just talks to fishes. Well, sure, if you put it that way. But if you actually use it creatively, then it can be pretty cool. Ant-Man, oh yeah, he just shrinks down to the size of an ant, if you put it that way. But if you consider the fact that he can change his size at will, then you can do all sorts of neat things. Yeah, and I think this is the real start to, um, to exploring how to combine using his shrinking and his growing at the same time, like within, within battles. Um, here's another example of maybe people, uh, the artist, not really recognizing what size things should be. Um, the Wasp is captured in the porcupine's car and she goes well there's no use in growing uh and wasting one of the growth pills because i'm not gonna be able to get out yet when they get to the porcupine's lair she's full-sized oh oh yeah (laughs) and then and then after that she like is the wasp again and like sneaks out of a little hole right another whoops is that they make very clear at the beginning of this issue giant man falls from a great height and ends up fracturing his ankle and it's all casted up and everything and he says i can't change size until the bone sets unless i want to shatter it completely and then you know an hour later or something he changes sizes several times in rapid succession (laughs) yeah 
his his uh, bones should be dust. Right, pretty much. Yeah, overall, it was kind of a silly issue, but the ending was the best part. The ending was the best part because the porcupine gets control of the shrinking and enlarging pills. He yeah. thinks he's taking an enlarging pill and he's going to grow huge, but he actually he's takes actually, He's going to take several of them. Several of them and grow monster size, but he actually shrinks down really, really, really tiny. I thought this was this was the first time that someone has done that. And what's the... The, the small universe? Uh, the microverse. The microverse, yeah. yeah. I'm sure he was sent to the microverse at this point here. Yeah. And they say in the wrap-up text box, they go, oh, you, those of you who are familiar with such things have a su- suspicion that somehow he's going to return someday. I wonder, had um, had the microverse been established in the Fantastic Four comics by this point? No, I'm pretty sure not. Uh, we also have a wasp tale titled When Wakes the Colossus. We have Mingo... And Mingo is an evil warlord, and he decides that he is going to take over a whole bunch of planets, and he's going to do that by using their superstitions against them. Uh, For example, um, there's one place that worships animals, so he dresses up as an animal so they won't want to attack him. And then he decides to keep them subjugated and um, not trying to revolt and everything out of their fear of superstition by erecting a giant statue and he tells them that if they revolt or anger him in some way, that the statue will come to life and destroy them all. Eventually, they decide to revolt anyway, because even if they're destroyed by a giant, it's better than whatever uh, living whatever life they have right now. The statue, oddly enough, does come to life, but then it attacks Mingo and forces him to flee, thus saving the planet's. I love this one. It's, it's like he, she's not there to tell a story to army vets or orphan kids or anything like that. She's like, Henry, Henry, I've got a great story to tell you. Please listen to me. <laughs> I'm going to tell it to the vets, but I want you to hear it first. <laughs> and so she does. Yeah. And, and he's not listening. He's not paying attention <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, the interesting part about this story is that sort of the lead um, rebel says... I felt that for whatever supernatural power controlled the Colossus would not guide it against men seeking only their liberty. Mortals may be evil, but the supernatural powers are not. And that just makes me wonder why they were superstitious in the first place. (laughs) Right. It's like, well, if things that are like supernatural cannot be evil or harm you, why did you fear them so much? Hmm. So that's kind of like a little bit of a lame ending. In issue 54... Uh, which is titled No Place to Hide, featuring the deadly tyrant of Santo Rico, El Toro. It's a really long title. The Wasp and Ant-Man find out that the democratic country of Santo Rico has just elected a guy by the name of El Toro, who is definitely, definitely a communist. Oh, yes. So they decide to take a vacation to Santo Rio at the request of Washington. And their job is to determine whether uh, El Toro rigged the election or not. Well, they're pretty sure that he did, so they just need proof. El Toro is a guy who wears a a helmet with little horns on it. And when he charges people, um, it's like the force of a bull and he knocks them over. That's how he won the election. That's how he won the election. Knocked over the polls. (laughs) Um, Wasp is captured. Giant man has to save her. And then they do discover that he rigged the election, that communists were in charge of all of that, and that they should have a new election and elect a democratic leader instead. 
So this is, um, if you've been paying attention to current events and everything that's been happening in Malaysia right now, it's, uh, this, is, this is what has happened in Malaysia, except without the superheroes. Mm-hmm. Because Malaysia has been under sort of a, I don't know if they're communist per se, but under the, a dictatorship, a democratic dicta- dictatorship where the elections are rigged every single time. The same corrupt government has been in power for, for a long, long, long time. And just in this last election enough people actually came out to vote honestly and overthrew the government through mm-hmm. voting. And it's just remarkable. And that's kind of the story here, except without the superheroes. On the other hand, we also see in America, there are all these FBI investigations as to whether Russians, who are not communist now in the sense that they were here, whether Russians had been involved in affecting the American elections. And, you know, what... what uh, Giant Man and Wasp are doing here is basically what the FBI are trying to do there and find the evidence that there actually was some interference by another country. Yeah. This is where I really find Hank and Jan's relationship to be odd because uh, it's really it really hasn't been defined what, who likes who. And I mean, well, we know that Jan likes Hank, but um, whether or not Hank really um, has the feelings back, but he kind of does here and they like he... Like, he starts making comments now, like, say, come on, gorgeous, don't sulk. Let's say we kiss and make up. Like, that's something Jan would say before, but now Hank's making these comments as well. Yeah, it really doesn't help his case if he's trying not to get into a relationship with her. Yeah, and and so at this point, we don't really know where they stand. And I don't really know that they know either. Um, This is the first time that I notice, and it might have happened before this, but I'm not sure, that... Wasp calls him Hank in this issue. Oh. And uh, so moving forward, she, she I think she exclusively calls him Hank after this. Hmm. I, I think I'm so used to seeing him called Hank that I didn't notice. The other thing that I noticed about this issue is that they don't really seem concerned about their identities anymore. The fan club comes into their, into their lair or lab or whatever you call it, and they're not wearing their masks and they're okay with this. <laughs> yeah, and, and so I wonder if is this something that would be crossover from the Avengers? No, the Avengers were the, strictly the, secret identities yeah, oh, right. only. They right. didn't even let each other know right, that's that right. they had what their secret identities were. About that, so yeah, this it's a very interesting change, and I wonder. We didn't change writers; it's still Stanley, right? Uh, yeah. Well, Stanley's doing the plot. Well, so, I mean, yeah. that's. It just seems like a very odd change where they were very protective of their identities to the point where they wouldn't um, grow or shrink in public to just being open about it. This one is credited as being written by Stan Lee, so I think he did the script for this one as well. Very strange. Uh, this one, he has the giant man using two speedboats as water skis. <laughs> is that something else that you thought was convenient here? I didn't expect it to happen, but once it happened, it's like, of course that happened. Right. <laughs> the Wasp story in here is called Conquest, and I didn't read this one, did you? Um, yeah, I did. <laughs> okay, tell me about it, because I so, <laughs> skipped it for some so, reason. Now, here's the thing. Going back to what we were just saying about their weird, undefined relationship, we start off with Henry Pym calling up the Wasp, saying, Hey, I'm just about finished with my experiments. Let's go for dinner and dancing. Sounds like a date. And she goes, Oh, why did you have to pick tonight to finally ask me out? Because... My uh, my friend is in the hospital and I'm babysitting her son and I'm about to tell him this story. 
it's just an aside in this it's not even a big deal no exactly <laughs> it's like and it just sort of brushes it off as if this is kind of a normal thing right in this story it's kind of the opposite of the uh, of the last one instead of mingo being this uh ruthless dictator who takes over a bunch of planets we have a monarch named shan and shan who wears a red outfit with a big yellow star on it kind of like early jor-el oh yeah he is the uh leader of his world and he wants to make sure that his people are happy and that they respect him as the leader so in order to win their respect he decides that he's going to conquer another planet and then he would be remembered as sean the conqueror and everybody would love him for that and so they take over another country and when they in doing or not another country another planet and in doing that they end up destroying like the farmland and all the buildings and everything and the people of that planet end up being really poor and destitute and not having anything so sean's advisors say well you can't just let them die we have to provide for them and so now all of the people of uh, sean's planet are uh, taxed more heavily and so that they can provide uh, food and other types of uh, resources to this other planet and then they end up hating him and so then he has to sit and uh, think about all that he's done and how people don't love him like he wanted them to so Jan is telling a boy that she's babysitting. What's the purpose of this story? What is she trying to teach him? I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is another one of those um, human psychology type uh, stories that you're talking about. I guess that conquering people isn't the way to gain people's uh, admiration. <laughs> right. Um, maybe it's that, you know, you have to sort of think through all of your actions before because uh, your actions could have unintended consequences. It's, it's a very odd story. I mean, it's a good story. It's 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 well written. I like the twist at the end. Yeah, but it just seems like something a bit like it's not going to be a great bedtime story. No. And it, you find out that he doesn't actually fall asleep at the end. And then he asks, what happened to your wings when you grow? What does happen to her wings when she grows? Um, That's a question I want to know, too. At this point, I believe they just state that they sort of um, vanish and they only grow like when she shrinks, they grow. But later on, it's uh, stated that they're always there. They're just sort of microscopic sized. So they're attached to her back in a particular place. And then when she shrinks, they don't shrink. Because that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, neither way makes sense, really. But <laughs> Right. Issue 55, on the trail of the human top. And uh, this one starts off with another fan club meeting where they're watching old films of uh, battles with between um, Giant Man and his foes. In this Specifically case, the top. The top. I really want to join a giant man fan club. And <laughs> if any of you host one in your city out there, uh, let me know because I want to become a member. Uh, in this one, the human top escapes jail and steals a growth pill and becomes a giant human top and defeats, uh, and defeats giant man because of it. I, at this point, you know, the top is a kind of a cool villain, but his gimmick is kind of getting old on me now. This is the, the third time we've seen him, and one of those times was a two-parter. Yeah. So we've given um, a lot of time to the human top. Who just spins who around just the circle. spins around and goes around him, and, 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 and I think, I feel like at this point it's kind of getting a little old. And mind you, I'm originally, this is about, you know, those three issues are within two years, so maybe reading it in a big collection like this is its downfall but uh, i could do with less human top and we see him again later on in this issue for a fourth time 
Now, he does mention that he has some new tricks, I believe, in this one. He can spin so fast that people can't really see him. Oh, I can't remember if it's this one or the next one that he says that he can uh, redirect the wind that's coming into his spinning um, in like a force blast kind of thing. No, actually, I think that is the next one. So maybe he doesn't have any new tricks this one. Yeah. <laughs> well, and as a result, there's a lot of filler. Yeah. There's a there's so much exposition in this one issue. Not uh, not one of my favorites. And really not much to say about this issue. And even even the way they defeat him is kind of dumb. Ant-Man gets termites to chew a hole or to, to weaken a portion of roof. And then he sort of leads the top to that portion of roof so he'll land on it and fall through it and that somehow defeats him yeah that's it uh then we have a wasp story here it's called the gypsy's secret and it opens like the beginning of beauty and the beast a gypsy comes to a castle the castle of baron Raz- radzik and uh, the gypsy wants some help and has gold to pay uh, in exchange, but the guy doesn't believe that a, a gypsy can come across gold honestly, so must have been a steal. So, so he he sends him away, or no, sorry, he locks him in the dungeon, mm-hmm. and then um, later we find out that um, the the gypsy is actually an alien, and this was a test, and the Baron did not pass the test. So the Baron, um, so the gypsy says to the Baron, "I will give you the secret, but it's in my my caravan." And uh, when they get to the caravan, the Baron is caught, and and then they take him off to the planet. Yep. He's like, oh, he's looking for somebody who wouldn't be missed at all, and I couldn't find anybody, but nobody's going to miss you because you're just a big jerk. And I wonder why Wasp is telling um, Hank this story. <laughs> <laughs> this is another one where Hank's just working in his lab, and she comes along and goes, hey, let me tell you a story. Yep. And he actually doesn't want to hear it. In this one, the lettering is by Sherry Gale. And I'm not sure what that is a ref- who that is. That can't be a real name. The next issue, number 56, The Coming of the Magician. So I think in the last issue, we were introduced to um, a new contraption that Giant Man has outside of his building. Yes, um, right. It's a, fl- it's a flagpole, but it's not actually a fl- flagpole. It's this... this um, I don't know what do you call it, like a pulley system kind of thing. Yeah, it's just a ring, like on a winch, a, on a yeah, on the on a wire. And Giant Man can leap from his apartment and grab it and kind of swing over to whatever part of the city he needs to be in, which is not not any part of the city, just down to the street. It's a faster way to get out of the building in yep. giant size. But in subsequent issues, he lands exactly where he needs to be. Oh, I didn't notice that. So yeah, you have to. It's a. It, it's kind of a. It swings him wherever he needs to go. It's kind of like how he had the uh, pressurized catapult thing in the early issues that was only on one side of his house yet shot him wherever he needed to go. Exactly, yeah. It's exactly that. But this is the issue where right out of left field, right out of left field, (laughs) completely out of left field, Hank decides that he's going to propose to Jan. So bizarre. It's like I didn't think... it's very interesting the way that this is all gone. I it's just uh, very interesting. So it, this is the one that we mentioned this before, where she goes on a date and the guy she thinks the guy is going to propose to him. That's her at this point, and so Hank gets really jealous and angry about it. Starts throwing things around and and whatever. 
and then takes his little tiny fantastic car that's being <laughs> um, carried by flying ants. Yeah. A way more effective way to go than the catapults that right. launched him. Like oh, he... yeah. And it's two ant power as opposed to just one ant power oh, yeah. from riding an ant. So the the point of this story is that um, the party that Wasp is going to, this magician shows up and the magician happens to be a criminal and sucks up the Wasp because she happens to be there. And so Hank has to create a fake party to lure the magician to him so that uh, he can rescue the wasp. And the funny thing is, there already was a real party on a yacht. So he diverts all of the um, attendants to a second yacht for the party <laughs> and then goes to the uh, the original yacht as, uh, to, to spring the trap. And he has he has a bunch of little cutouts on turntables and like a projector behind them or a flashlight or something to project giant shadows of people dancing. That's not how that really works. Right. But also it reminded me of um, Home Alone. Home Alone, Alone. yeah, of course. <laughs> uh. So basically he Home Aloneed the other yacht. That's awesome. Yeah. And then the magician went, is like, wait a minute. So in this one, he shrinks and grows and the magician constantly is going, Ant-Man, how did you get here? Giant man, how did you get here? Like, he obviously <laughs> thinks that they're two, two different heroes. And this is what confused me when I was mentioning this, mentioning this before. Um, are they publicly known? Is Giant Man and Ant-Man publicly known as two different people, or, or are they the same? Yeah, and especially because they're not so concerned about their identities with their fan club, you would think that A, people would know who they are, and B, that Giant Man and Ant-Man are the same person. I don't know. When you become a member of the fan club, you get to know the secret identity. I think that's one of the perks. Yeah. <laughs> but you're sworn to secrecy. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be kicked out of the fan club. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Wasp tells a tale in this one as well. Again, she's telling it to uh, Hank. He's busy working out because it's humiliating to be bigger than the Hulk in size, but not as strong. <laughs> so she interrupts him during his workout to tell him the story. Um, more like a riddle of this man and woman who are uh, on a far-off planet, quote, zillions of miles from us. The woman is a princess and um, wants to marry this guy who is lazy. And so the brother of the princess, who I believe is the king, is like, get out of here because uh, you're no good because you're lazy. So he takes her, the princess, the king takes the princess to this island called Perilica, like peril, with an I-C-A on the end. Okay. Um, where there is this big thing called the Bog Beast. The Bog Beast has been trained to protect the princess, and anyone who wants to uh, marry the princess must defeat the Bog Beast by running across this uh, small bridge that the Bog Beast can't cross because it's too flimsy. And then defeat it. So this big strong guy tries to go and wrestle it and he's not successful. And then this like archer slash like um, ranger type guy tries to go and defeat it and isn't able to do it. And they run away. And then she says, oh, well, the lazy guy got to marry her after all. And I'll tell you how it happened if you take me out to dinner. So they go out to dinner and then she's like... Uh, oh yeah, so the lazy guy just basically shouted across the bridge for her to walk across the bridge to him. And so then, therefore, he defeated the bog beast somehow and got to marry her. Now, this is an example of not having enough space to tell the full story because the last 
like that last huge, huge bubble where Jan is telling the rest of the story should have been drawn. It could have been like a page or two. Maybe if uh, if they took out the framing sequences with Giant Man and Wasp, they would have had enough room. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a kind of a rush ending. This is also the first time, issue 56, is also the first time that the Avengers is mentioned in these comics. Okay, yeah, I was yeah. going to say um, that there's an Avengers reference in the next issue, but I didn't realize there's one in 56 as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, on page four of this issue, page 351, um, he's saying, oh, well, between my crime fighting um, and my life in the lab, there's no place for marriage. As long as I remain in, uh, a member of the Avengers, I have to be on call 24 hours a day. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think Iron or Giant Man, the issue that Giant Man is created, like when Hank Pym first becomes Giant Man, yeah. it coincides with Avengers number three. Yes. So they, the Avengers has been going on a lot since then, but they just don't mention in this book at all, which mm-hmm. is strange. Issue number 57. On the Trail of the Amazing Spider-Man. In this one, we have our very first Giant Man Wasp hero battle. Yes. Egghead is back. And he plants false information with the wasps or with the ants that Spider-Man is going to come and attack Giant Man. So they decide they're going to preemptively find Spider-Man and fight him first. So while they're doing this, Somehow this attracts the attention of the police and all the police from all over the city come to sort of watch this fight and make sure that people aren't in the way or whatever. Leaving Egghead on uh, free on the other side of the city to do whatever the heck he wants. Then Giant Man and Spider-Man realize they've been duped and they team up uh, with the Wasp to defeat Egghead. It's a classic classic team-up scenario. Classic. The, bad guys, the two good guys meet and then think they're bad guys and fight and then eventually realize they need to team up. This is the first appearance of the wasp sting. Instead of just being small um, or having to carry around a pin, the wasp actually has a device which is made out of unstable molecules, so it will shrink with her, that can blow strong gusts of air, um, which when she's mini-sized will feel like a sting of of a wasp. And you also have to note that it's a non-lethal weapon. Yes. Um, And I'm not sure if that's intentional or if it's because she's a woman or that kind of thing but eventually her blasts become lethal yes yeah they become uh like bioelectricity or something like that yeah i found spider-man was written in a very ditko-ish way Mm -hmm. in this issue of course because ditko was the only writer of spider-man at the time uh and so spider-man when he was a young kid and teenage when he was a teenager he was kind of a jerk kind of a jerk and he was he was grumpy and uh uh, a little arrogant and stuff, and that comes across in this issue. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of... Um, I haven't read a lot of the early Spider-Man, but um, as a Fantastic Four fan, I've read the issue where he tries to join the Fantastic Four, and this reminds me of that um, that issue quite a bit. Right. Okay, if you go to page oh. 15 of this, collect- of this issue, uh, which is page 386, I've noticed throughout this book, mm-hmm. and I know this is kind of like a work in progress and they're learning as they go and stuff. But there are so many word balloon rules that are broken. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the first panel, the word balloons are supposed to be placed in order to convey a sense of depth. But you have the word balloon that Giant Man is ta- saying. It goes over his shoulder, but behind his head, 
word balloons shouldn't shouldn't do that. They really shouldn't do that. It's yeah, it's kind of it's tilted at an angle or something like that. And there are examples of this all over the place. Just bad composition with with the word balloons. And there's another example in the next issue that I'll bring up when we get to it. At the end of this story, Spider-Man and Wasp are talking about how they sort of rub each other the wrong way, and it must be because wasps and spiders are natural enemies, um, which does come into play in uh, in the Spider-Man comic when um, there's like the spider totem when he's the spider totem and with Ezekiel and that kind of thing. And there's like the spider clan and then there's like the clan of uh, wasps and they're trying to kill him. It also comes into play in recent Avengers because Miles Morales, Spider-Man and Nadia, the wasp, both join at the same time. And they also have a similar interaction where they both don't really like each other. And they just sort of write it off as because wasps and spiders are natural enemies. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So the Wasp has a a backup story here, and this is a a turning point for the Wasp stories because this is actually an actual Wasp story. It's not a tale that she tells. It's something that actually happens. And she is on her way to dinner, but then she sees a jewel. She sees a guy going into the sewer and realizes that this is a jewel thief and goes after her or after him. And uh, eventually gets caught small in the sewer running out of air because the air is pretty thin down there or something or it's like a sealed com- it's compartment thick with, like smelled stuff she eventually in her small form uses a, a, a makeshift megaphone uh, to pre- pretend that she's the invisible girl and because criminals fear the fantastic four he gives himself up right away in fact he goes straight to the police <laughs> it's a it's a fun little story it's nice to see that she's getting a solo adventure where she's a capable person of holding her own in in a crime well i didn't think that she was portrayed as being able to hold her own she doesn't have her stinger and that might just be because she wasn't expecting to to be fighting crime but you know she tries to tie shoelaces together and can't do that she tries to um she tries to hit him with a pin to sting him but can't do that she tries to escape from the room, but she can't do that. I guess. I guess what I mean is that she 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 is willing to jump into danger, right? Um, because she had previously said that she's not in this game to be a crime fighter, right? So if that's the case, why would she even go in the in the sewer in the first place, right? Yes. And she comes up with a method that actually does work. She eventually figures it out after her other methods fail. Um, she keeps trying, and the criminal ends up in jail. Yeah, it's just a shame that. Um they couldn't make her a little more competent as herself, as the Wasp, that she had to pretend to be a different hero in order to scare the villain into turning himself in. That's the next issue. The next issue does that better. Yeah. Okay, 58 is called The Coming of Colossus, and we get a a surprise cameo from Captain America. They fight the X-Men again. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. No. Different Colossus. Different Colossus. That's right. We have seen Cyclops and Colossus in this issue. And this one, he, he asks Hank and Jan to look into a giant that has been sighted in Bora Bora, um, who is demanding a human sacrifice. Bora Buru. Bora Buru? Yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I swear that later they say Bora Bora. Maybe. Oh, yeah, Bora Buru. There you go. Okay. Okay, I mentioned that there's another bad word balloon example, and I want to give this one. It's on page three of this of this story, which is page 398 
It's the the bottom middle panel. Captain America standing, and then in the foreground is is Giant Man and Wasp, and the word balloons. The the tail of the one that Wasp is saying goes behind the the word balloon that Giant Man is saying, and like that's just a no nose crossing your your word balloons like that. They could have easily flipped the dialogue so that Giant Man's word balloon is on the top, and he says, "What's up? A new case for the Avengers?" And then Wasp says uh, something like. Forget the case. I just like it when when you sweet talk me or something like that. Like they could have easily switched the dialogue around that to make the word balloons make sense. Or change the position of of Wasp and Giant Man so that you can point the yeah. word balloons in the proper spots. Or even there's room to move Captain America over a little bit, which means you could move over Wasp's balloon and then have the have the tail coming off to the left. So it doesn't have to be covered up. Yeah. The problem is that this artwork is already done and finished and inked right. before the, it gets to the letter. So yeah. the, he was just and squeezing they, the, the balloons in where they fit. And they don't want to cover up Captain America because this is like his big cameo. Yeah. Um, in this, in this, this, On that same page, if you look at the first panel where you see a giant, giant man's giant head, Jan, Jan's bubble is behind her head but over top of Giant Man's bubble. But Giant Man's antenna, which is supposed to be in the foreground, go behind Giant Man's bubble. So it makes it look like Jan is actually the one in the foreground because she is the closest thing according to this hierarchy of, of layers here. And Giant Man is behind in the, in the yeah. background. Yeah, that does look weird. So they go to Bora Boru to uh, find the Colossus. And the Colossus is 30 feet tall. And he lives on top of this really, really big, like, podium of rock. And he never comes down, but he threatens the people, and they worship him or something. Um, and then he demands a human sacrifice. So then that's when they called the Avengers. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Only then. Um, so they go, and they fight, and Giant Man can't beat him because this guy's just too big. One thing that you should know in this issue is that this is the first time we see mental uh, growing and shrinking. Oh, right. That is even weirder than the whole capsule thing. Yeah. Like, it made sense with the gas. It made sense with the, with the, with the serum. It's like, I have to pour something on me to enact this. I have to breathe the gas. I have to swallow the pill. But there's still a chemical changing this. And now he's like, I just think really hard about it. And if that's the case, shouldn't anybody be able to shrink? Well, exactly. The weirder thing is that he can think and make Jan go bigger and smaller too. Right, exactly. And she hates it, which I wouldn't (laughs) blame her. Like, that's just kind of creepy. And I guess it could make sense, something to do with the circuitry, you know, combining communication between their helmets and stuff like that. But still, it's just really bizarre. I like the fight in this one because Hank really needs to figure out how to use his, his strength in his really large form because he now goes to does he say 30 feet or 20 feet he go i don't think it says but he goes pretty close to the same size yeah it's really really large it's twice as over twice the size than he usually is um and he can't control himself at that point so he has to figure out how to how to fight and i think that's portrayed really well here um, and then we have the classic classic and en- ending where the alien is scared off by the human. We find out that the giant is actually an alien and is now scared of the human race and goes off in his spaceship to yeah. warn people never to go to Earth. So this guy, um, his mission was to get a specimen of humans so that they could bring it home with him. That was the human sacrifice. 
Which is, that's the gypsy story. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, And so the Colossus, who clearly doesn't know that Ant-Man and Giant-Man are the same thing or anything like that, um, he starts to think that this person who was given to them as a sacrifice, because Henry goes, I'm I'm the sacrifice. He starts to think that all humans can change size and disappear and reappear like he can. And so that me that uh, so he travels away and uh, says, "Call off the invasion because these guys are too powerful." And so the people of Boru Boru build a giant giant man statue. <laughs> yep, that's it. Then we have a uh, another wasp story, and this is the one where the magician comes back. He breaks out of jail and uh, tries to get his revenge on wasp. So this is the one I mentioned earlier where he sets up a. Uh, a fashion show based on her own fashion sense in order to lure her in, and that does the job. And here, Wasp is portrayed much more competently. She takes much out more. the the villain with a very very complex manner, using robots and a whole bunch of different things. So it's a it's it's a good story, nice short story. Yeah. By the way, this is the first time that the Wasp changes costume which almost becomes a running gag later on in the future where she doesn't wear the same costume more than one issue. But at this point, she's not that into fashion and uh, making fashion for herself, but this is the first time she's created a new costume. The costume isn't even that different. No. It's very similar. It's still red and black. Issue 59. Bring us home. The last one. It's called Enter, colon, The Hulk. And here we have our second classic superhero battle. In this one, we have the human top once again, sitting in bed, smoking, reading his newspapers. And he has just recently been paroled. And yes, this is the one where he um, describes himself as having new abilities that he didn't have before, like focusing a force of air to make like a big blast. And instead of going up against Giant Man directly, instead tries to trick the Hulk into defeating him for him. The reason this works is because he decides to just follow Giant Man around for a little bit. Um, Giant Man decides to try and go to recruit the Hulk, uh, uh, convince the Hulk to rejoin the Avengers, and that sparks this brilliant idea by the top to track down the Hulk, convince him that Giant Man is after him, and then have them fight to the death. Now, up until this point... The last couple of years, um, the Hulk has been only a guest star in other people's books because his book was canceled after six issues and he was, um, he was now just guest star status. But his popularity was growing because he was appearing in all these books and this story spins right out of Avengers number five, which was his most previous appearance. And, um, and in the very next issue, Hulk gets his own feature title in the uh, in the tales to astonish so now the the book is split giant man and the incredible hulk they uh, have their own stories in each issue and at the same time ant-man's popularity was kind of going down so i think that the move to include the hulk in in this story and to have him um spin off into his own own stories in, in within tales to astonish was to help boost some ant-man sales as well because because it was it was slowly declining and after this after this collection ant-man only lasts another um i don't know handful of stories and then he's replaced with namor the submariner when did um giant man leave the avengers in relation to this he left um not too long after this actually 
Mm-hmm. I think it was like number 13 or 14, Avengers 13 or 14, when all of the Avengers, all of the original Avengers leave except for Captain, Captain America. America. And that's and that... when uh, Hawkeye and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch come on. Yes. Right. That's right. Um, and that might coincide with him leaving Tales to Astonish, actually. Hmm. I'd have to double check the dates on that, but that's interesting to, to, to note. I think they missed an opportunity in here for kind of a good revenge joke. Giant Man and Wasp are walking down the street, and some uh, random guys on the street start catcalling and making comments at the Wasp. And then one of them notes from beneath their jackets, they're still wearing their costumes, and he goes, what are you two wearing, long underwear? And uh, Giant Man grows and beats them all up for... um, for not being respectful to the wasp. And in the next panel, one of them is in a pair of long underwear hanging from a laundry line, but it's not the one that made that comment originally. Oh, oops. Yeah, they could have done that. That's probably just the colorist's fault. Actually, maybe, yeah. The guy who made the comment is on a lamppost, it looks like. Yeah. There is a billboard um, on on the fifth page of this issue. On page nine... It's uh, to page 428 in this collection. And it says Stan Dick Motor Oil, and that's a reference to, of course, Stanley and Dick Ayers, who are the creative team on this issue. And then on the same page, one of the most ridiculous things I love about this issue is that they, the General Ross launches an atomic bomb to take out a city that has Hulk in it. How incredibly reckless is that for the general to be doing? I know this is an abandoned city, but this is a nuclear, a nuclear bomb we're well, talking about. Well, it's actually not. Giant Man uses that billboard as a megaphone and tells everybody to leave. And they're like, oh, it's Giant Man saying this. We should probably leave. Oh, yeah. It's not even... Like, no. He, he it, fires it knowing full well that there's, there's people in the city. Well, he, he knows that everybody's left for some reason. But still, that's just mass destruction of right. people's property. Right. But then the Hulk jumps up and grabs the bomb and throws it throws it away. The fallout will still kill many, many people, I'm sure. Yeah. So it is in the deserts of New Mexico, so maybe it won't affect that much. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Because, I mean, that is why Hulk hangs out in, like, Nevada, New Mexico and stuff, because there's just masses of desert where there isn't anybody that he can hurt. Except Wile E. Coyote. Right. If you want another opinion of this issue, Alex and I talk about it in Incredible Hulk Episode 1, Man or Monster. And you can check out what we have to say about this issue um, over in that one over there. The backup story to this one is not a wasp tale, but rather a collection of pinups and then a a short story that sort of uh, describes the all of the skills and uh, and gadgets and things that giant men and wasp use and i always like it when they do this kind of thing totally yeah i love it when they like you show all of the towers of the four freedoms plaza oh yeah that's one of my favorites there or all of the things in peter parker's apartment and yep so there's not no there's no new information or reveals or anything like that here it's just kind of fun to place, place it all together and then we end off with a couple of uncolored pages of original art from Tales to Astonish number 27, uh, number 40, and number 44, which is kind of neat to see. And then a house ad from Fantastic Four number 14 in May of 1963, which is promoting the line of superheroes. So like we said at the beginning, this is sort of 
around the big boom of, of superheroes coming into being. And so there was a nice advertisement promoting all of them, including Ant-Man. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of this book. You know, it's golden age fun. It's ridiculous. Yeah. There are, it, it's incredibly cheesy and it's repetitive and uh, some of it's long-winded, <laughs> um, but it's, it's kind of fun. I, I find it certainly better than like the first dozen issues of, of the X-Men series. Mm-hmm. I find those ones a little bit more redundant and uh, um, hard to swallow, but uh, uh, um, these, ones are, these ones are fun. Yeah, um, and like I was uh, saying, you can't really take anything too seriously. You, you, when you're reading things like this, there's always some sort of suspension of disbelief that has to go on. At this age, in the 60s, you just need to extend that a little further. Yeah, that's right. I like having this collection. I think it's a really neat place to have all of these stories all in one place. Um, the, the restoration is beautiful. And the package is just really, really great. Um, it doesn't collect all of the Tales to Astonish um, stories. There are about 10 more, I think. And it, it, it's been about three years, I think, since this volume came out. And they haven't issued an, a second volume yet. So we are all anxiously awaiting for Ant-Man Volume 2, the Epic Collection Volume 2. And we will eventually, hopefully when that comes out, we'll mm-hmm. jump back in and uh, do another episode of Ant-Man. Yep. Or Ant-Man Giant Man. Or maybe just Giant Man. Yeah, there's not enough material <laughs> to be just Giant Man. They'll have to go back to... I think they would uh, be able to include Scott Lang's first stuff that in the second cool. volume. I like Scott he, Lang a lot. He appears in the 70s. And he's the one, if you haven't really read the comics and are here for the movies and you've listened this long, Scott Lang is the one that uh, is in the movies. Yeah. Okay, so enough about Ant-Man. Uh, when is the next time you're going to be on this show, Eric? I think we're going to do a volume of Fantastic Four next. Yeah. Um, we will probably do the follow-up to our Walter Simonson volume called The New Fantastic Four. Oh, I love The New Fantastic Four. Yep, it's a good one. That'll be really good. So go ahead and listen, if you haven't already, to um, the the episode called Into the Time Stream because the next issue will be the one that... The next episode will be the one that follows that one. And I think that's it. This was a long episode. I, oh, holy man. cow, clocking three hours? Yikes. <laughs> well, there's a lot we can cut out. Um, I, yeah, maybe. I don't know an hour's worth. I don't think we'll cut out an hour's worth, though. Oh. So, wow, that's amazing. But there is a lot to talk about, apparently, in this issue, mm. in this volume. There are a lot of issues because they're so short. To, to meet the page count, they put in a lot of, of issues. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the page count was, was down, so... I guess maybe we didn't have to spend as much time on some of them, but uh, we did. So there (laughs) we go. Anyway, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time.